Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today's episode is all about Black women's ambition and some of the struggles that ambitious Black women face in society and also in the church. So to start, we always talk about how it's hard to be what you can't see. So I thought that we could share a few of our favorite ambitious Black women and how they help to keep us brave. So Catherine, why don't you kick us off and get us started? Yeah. um, So the first person that automatically comes to mind whenever I think about women's ambition is Rihanna, who is just such a boss. Um, You know, she's on her like third or fourth company, um, Fenty Beauty, Fenty Skin. She has a lingerie line in addition to her music. And I think that's like what's impressive to me about Rihanna is just that it feels like she's trying to, she's not trying to marry a billionaire. She's trying to be a billionaire herself. And I just feel like that like narrative of like, you know, um, success, but in a way that is like freeing. Like she, Rihanna is going to tell you how she feels. She's going to be totally honest and be herself. And so, I mean, I just really appreciate her business acumen. And yeah, I feel like she's like not waiting for some man to come save her. Like, you know, she's going to buy things herself. Um, and then, yeah, I think Rihanna would probably be my top most ambitious black woman that just makes me like, oh yeah, like if I don't believe in myself, who's going to believe in me, you know? So that would probably, she'd probably be my top one. I think my um, top one is um, Bozema St. John. She is like so, so good. I admire her so much and her work ethic. Somebody, like we were doing like a this exercise at work and they were talking about um, kind of like, saying like oh you remind me of this kind of person and one of my coworkers said you remind me of Bosma and I was like yes yes thank you that's like the best compliment you can give me <laughs> so that was really cool yeah yeah no she is a good one yeah like she I, you know what I love about her is that she 100% knows her worth and she will like pick up and leave like she is like what now yeah. she's like some executive at Netflix but she had a really impressive job at Apple Music like she was like the only black woman yeah she went from apple to endeavor to well it was wme endeavor wme and now netflix yeah so i really yeah i love that she owns her space and like she is someone who like knows her worth and she is like okay bye <laughs> jesus so yeah she is a free black woman i love that about bozma yes um, i would love to know about her negotiating skills yes yeah, remember how sh- we talked about that yes yes she should write a book i really would read i think because you know when i was thinking about preparing for this episode and just like doing research there's not a lot or at least i couldn't find a lot of books kind of in the lean in vein that are written from the perspective of black women and how kind of the unique challenges of that and so um I hope that Bozma is writing a book I'm just gonna put that out there um, we just want to put that out there write a book for us yeah I think Valerie Jarrett actually wrote a book last year that I think she talks a little bit about women's ambition um Valerie Jarrett worked in the Obama White House but um and was a mentor to Michelle Obama but yeah I feel like we just need more writings from black women on ambition generally um okay Faith so what were kind of the messages you got growing up about being ambitious, either from culture or from growing up in church? What did you, yeah, do you have any recollection of your thoughts on what you thought about ambitious women at your young age, at a young age? I think I connected ambition and ambitious women to like younger women I saw that might have been like single or had, you know, great careers. But to be honest with you, a lot of the spaces that I was in, it was mostly women who were married with children. And I think that's a different ambition and is still um, worthwhile and important one, obviously, to have to raise children and to um, cultivate your home. But for me as a young person, when I thought about like ambition and what does it mean to be an ambitious woman, a career woman, I maybe had one or two examples. And that was mostly when I was in my teens. Like I knew it was possible. I knew that that was available to me like to be able to like find or attain or to do one day, but it wasn't something that was like really prominent in my face. And it definitely was not something that I remember being discussed in the church about like being ambitious, pursuing your career. Like 
it was about none of those things. Everything like the focus was more like purity and all these other things. So it was like, but it wasn't about like, hey, how can we help inspire you to like, you know, dream about what God wants you to do in your career and your life and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And the thing that you mentioned about like family and wife. And so when I think about what I was taught, like growing up about women's ambition, I think like the Proverbs 31 woman, right? So it's like that that's Mm -hmm. your ultimate ambition is to be a wife and a mother. And then you can do other things and be ambitious and do well, like serve your community, like be on the PTA or whatever. But that's that is the the proper Im- role for ambition for women is to be a wife and a mother. And I think that changed as I got older because I think it kind of concerned my mom when people would ask, like, what do you want to be? And I'd be like, I just want to marry someone rich like, because I don't want to cook. I have <laughs> never really liked cooking. Like, I definitely think at a young age, I can remember telling my mom, I want to marry someone rich so we can hire someone to cook because I don't want to have to do that. And so, you know, there was this like narrative because like my mom is really smart. She's great at math. She was an accountant. But, you know, for a certain portion of our childhood, she stayed at home. And so it, it as I got older, it was kind of this like you can have a career like you don't have to stay at home and your kids and your um husband don't have to be your whole life but it did feel like I just don't ever recall being surrounded by a lot of like single women who were career or highly successful until I don't know probably I was in my mid-20s um well Mm -hmm. yeah maybe between like in college and maybe definitely in law school where it was like oh like you can it can be godly and God can use whatever giftedness you have apart from being a wife and a mother like and you can be Um, not that you get your fulfillment from a career, but that you can be satisfied and happy and doing the thing God called you to do if you're just really great at your job, you know? And so, um, yeah, I feel like I told, I'm with you. I feel like I totally missed that message when I was younger. And I think that there's like value in talking about like, yes, you can, you know, cultivate a home and have those, you know, things. But I think, It literally became an idol for me for the longest time because it's what I saw. It's what I aspired and attained like to get like that's what I, you know, want to go for that. But then when I started to do like this whole shift in my mindset and understanding and like saw myself as a career woman, as a businesswoman, it was still like this. I don't know. It was kind of like a paradigm shift for me, kind of, you know, like I had to really process like why it was okay to be excited about my career in life. um, But then also why I still felt bad about it, too, you know. So um, I think that those are some messages that we definitely can reshape how we talk to young women about what it means to be ambitious, you know. We could go on and on about that, but I'm going to jump to the next. Why do you think that there is a negative perception, particularly about um, around women's ambition? And then how would you encourage other black women to take risks um, despite potential rejection that may come? Yeah, so I think there's a negative perception around women's ambition because we're taught that it's like selfish. And I think it kind of goes back to what both of we were saying. It's like your highest ambition should be to be a wife and a mother. And I think also too, that I think is maybe a product of like the specific church space that we are in. Because even if I think about my own example of my own family, like the black women in my family have always worked and have always had careers and have always sought to like you know, strive and like be the best. Like it wasn't, uh, you know, I, my grandmother, I think, you know, was this entrepreneur and they owned restaurants and like, it wasn't like, uh, this idea of like, oh, I'm, you know, just my husband's wife. I just like sit at home and knit socks and like make elaborate meals. Like it was like, I want to be, I want to do this for my family. Like I want to be the best at this for my family. Um, and I like, I was reading um, Joe Saxon's newish, newish book, Ready to Rise, and she's something she said really resonated with me that I think speaks to this question is that it's hard for women on the margins. What she says is it's hard for women on the margins to raise their voice in a culture where humility is seen as quiet and depreciating and hidden is seen as holy. And I think that is so true. I think so many frames of what it means to be a biblical woman are stuck in the 1950s kind of June Cleaver kind of don't draw too much attention to yourself um and even just I being in seminary the stories that were told the bible stories right like if you think about women like 
Shipra and Pua who like defied Pharaoh to birth Moses. Like Mm -hmm. there's a holy boldness. You know, we don't tell the story of Deborah. We, the ways in which we tell the story of Mary and Hannah is really more about the fact that they were childless and less about that Hannah like went and like threw herself prostrate and was like publicly begging God for something um, that she felt like she had been promised so much so that she was like embarrassed. I mean, the, the high priest tried to embarrass her um, because he thought she was making a scene. And I just think that we don't tell the stories. We don't fully engage the rich biblical tradition. I think even the rich Christian history that we have around women, black women using their voices and and being biblical and being faithful daughters of the king. Um, I love the story, two of my favorite, like sort of historic black Baptist women, um, Nanny Helen Burroughs and Violet Johnson, were black women around the turn of the century, 20th century, who really cared about how black women in domestic spaces were treated. And there was this idea that like, if you were black, you know, you're black, you're female, and these and the women they did their ministry with were all maids. And there was this idea that like black maids were highly sexualized. They were mm-hmm. um, especially thinking about like the great migration, like they had loose morals, like all these things. And like, you know, Booker T. Washington and, you know, kind of the men of leading men of the time were like, y'all are ridiculous. Like the advocating for these women or for them to have the right to vote, like your job is just to teach them how to be good wives and mothers. And Nanny Helen Burroughs never got, she never got married. And actually the school that she started in Washington, DC um, is still in existence and still a school to this day. And so I just think, you know, there is a negative perception about being ambitious. I think Black women are thought of as overly aggressive if we're ambitious and vocal about our ambitions. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing I would say is like, you need to pursue it anyway, because you might fall flat on your face and people might have really horrible things to say about you. Um, but you have to trust God and the gifts that he's given you. And I think also to your resiliency to like pivot and keep moving, keep it moving, like mm-hmm. on to the next channel, your inner Bozma St. John. <laughs> and like, yes. just just go, like, just go. And so um, you're inner Esther and know that you've been called for such a time as this. Yes. So that would be what I would say. I mean, I think it's horrible um, the ways in which we stigmatize black women's ambition. You know, uh, you made a great point bringing up your um, mom and your grandmothers because I too had grandmothers that worked. And while my mom stayed at home, she did grad school while she, like while we were coming up and got her master's degree and started her own business. And I think that seeing that and the possibilities, like I didn't understand it all then. First of all, I don't think I knew how hard it was to start a business. So it didn't really seem like she was doing a whole lot to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now that I'm older, I realize like, oh, she was really doing some stuff. I just really didn't know like how difficult it is to start something. Um, That like was really encouraging for me to watch and see. And so I just think that exactly like what you're saying take that step, whatever that step may look like, even if it's scary, even if you don't know all the things, you can take that leap. And it doesn't always mean just, I'm going to leap and start my own business. That's not for everybody. Not everybody's made to start their own business, but whatever it is you feel like you would like to do, there's definitely room to do it. And if you do want to start your own business, most every state and city has a small business um, bureau that you can like connect with and they have like free business classes and coach you through like how you can make that happen. That's just a side note. Um, But I think those are some really cool things for like people to consider like as you're thinking of taking the leap. There's always a way. You just got to jump out there. Yeah, no, I agree. I think jump out there and see. And, you know, I think in the idea that like you're holding yourself back, you're doubting yourself. And there's some man out there who has half the skills and knowledge that you have that is raising his hand and he is (laughs) VP of somebody, something, and he doesn't know anything. So, (laughs) so, you know, there's always that. Um, I want to say, okay, so then, Faith, do you think there's a difference between how men and women think about ambition? Like, do you think men and women wield power and influence differently? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of a difference. Um, I think that men and their ambition is a little bit more tied to their identity more so than women's is. So, like, their success and their job, like, 
it's so much of who they are. It's so much of how they identify and how they see themselves um, more than it is for women. Because, um, you know, I can, there just been times and like with uh, my dad or my brother, like if they have been in a funk in their career or whatever it has been, it has really affected them. Like it's affected the way they show up, the way they even like carry themselves if they're, if they've lost their job or just different things like that. And so I think because there is that um, societal role for men to be, quote unquote, the providers and like the of the home that men carry this identity to what they do. Like what can what money am I bringing in? And like, am I able to take care of my family? All of these things. And that is directly tied to their identity when and then I think because of once again, societal expectations for women when it comes to ambition, it's like, oh, well, she's just out there trying to like do more she doesn't need anybody she just she's not trying to um you know like quote-unquote fall in line or she's she's one of those new women from you know these like 2020 women who are just independent want to just do it all themselves you know so I think like a woman's ambition can be so negatively like perceived you know sometimes but I'm like when you see a lot of these brands okay like the women are the face of it they are killing it they started the businesses and retired their husbands like and I think that we just need to acknowledge the fact that I think society has placed a negative perception on women's ambition just in general and now of course the tide has been changing over time recently but um, women do have a lot to contribute in this area and I think it's just been more of something that we can do we know we can be good at and it's less about like this is my entire identity is is who I am and, and it's not like tied up in this job right so I think there's a little bit of a difference in terms of how women view it versus men but I think we also are still just as determined and focused to get the job done to make it happen and to make substantial moves in our careers so I still think we have that same level of you know focus in that regard yeah no I think that's so true I when I was doing research for the episode um, I was surprised that like in a lot of the studies that I read um, that black women are actually the most ambitious like gender and racially, um, but they're like underrepresented in p- places of power. But like, you know, if they, it's like, who do you think that you belong in leadership? Do you think you have something to offer? Um, that black women were more, were more likely to raise their hand and say yes. And I think that's because, you know, black women, I think women generally, when it comes to ambition, they're more likely to think about um, when you give them money and access to power, they're more likely to use that as pathways out of poverty to like buy healthy food for their family, childcare, um, education. And I also think they're more because I think, you know, some of this is like, is this how women are naturally or is this how we're socialized? So there's a little bit of a nature versus nurture thing. But I do think of like women being more communal and so it's like how can I bring people along or like yeah. um or how like I think like when Kamala Harris said you know I'm get I'm the first but I don't want to be the last like I do think that that is the running thing of like sometimes the ambition between like four black women is it's like well I I want to be called on so I can help other people or like help my family and I think it's interesting though but like Um, something you said made me think like oh about like oh you're a new woman so like the idea that you don't want to get married if you're successful in your career or you like buy a house or something and you're single and it's like well you don't even need a man and it's like I find something so troubling about that mindset because it's like so I'm supposed to sit here and like wait and live in an apartment or you know not go to law school or pursue a PhD because it might be intimidating to man men. And I want to say, like, if you've ever heard that, like, it's not every man, it's the wrong man and good, good riddance. Cause if you, I yeah. just, to me, it's like, you know, I don't know. Like I just am really struck by like, if that is intimidating to you, like, why do you want a weak, or why do you want someone that you can dominate or who's like totally dependent on you? Like, I mean, I would just question that mindset. Um, Cause to me, I just feel like at least in my experience of what I've seen is like men that think that way, it's dangerous. Like it leads to a kind of like abuse and narcissism and, you know, like isolation in a way that I just, I don't think it's healthy for you to want to be someone's God 
in that way that you're the sole provider and dependent. Yeah, like somebody's everything. Like you, yeah, like just, I have to depend on you. I don't think that's healthy. Like you're putting yourself in a place, I, I think, a little bit that's only meant for like God to have in our lives. So I just, I hate that. Like I've had so many conversations where, where people are like, oh, Catherine, you're so smart. So whoever you're going to have to be with, he's going to be have to be, you know, he's going to have to have a really impressive resume and be like twice as smart as you are. You won't respect him. And it's like... Well, there are different kinds of intelligence, and so (laughs) not everyone has to be, you know, a doctor or whatever, and it's like, I don't know. I just, I don't like that, (laughs) Um, but I also don't like the idea that, like, women have to tamp down their expectations for what they want in a man, so I just want to say that if you think that you're not eligible to be married because you're highly educated, I have some girlfriends that their personal experience would belie otherwise. It's just the wrong type of man. (laughs) Um, and so you know i just think that yeah like black women are um often penalized like we're too aggressive or we're too quote-unquote too much um when i think similar behavior by men is like very acceptable and even desirable and so i just think i think the biggest difference is how ambition is perceived and i think it's much more negative for women to have any ambition outside of still i think it's getting better i agree that it's getting better but i do think it's still especially in christian circles it is very negative to have any ambition beyond home yes yes i would say that i would agree with that and i think too we just have to like interrogate that more and call it out and i think what you're saying in terms of you know oh, I'm too this, too that, too educated, too smart, too focused, too passionate, and so therefore, like, I'm not going to meet a guy who can handle that. Like, we don't need anyone. First, I don't need anybody to, like, handle me. Um, you know, I, I want someone who can... <laughs> don't need to be handled. <laughs> right. Like, I don't need a handler. Um, but I do um, want to collaborate and partner with somebody um, who would be just a great life partner. And that is what I desire. And I think that all of those negative stereotypes do not omit us from a healthy partnership, healthy marriage, um, any of those things. So, um, like you said, Catherine's just not the right person. So, um, you know, just keep waving goodbye to all the ones that are, um, are shouldn't be there. You know, um, nice to meet you, but no. And um, there is someone, there is someone, and my mom always says this to me, you just need one, Faith, just one. You don't got to get so stressed out. It's just <laughs> one person, right? So there is one person that will find themselves um, admiring who you are as a person, as a woman, want to um, partner with you in life and uplift you and y'all build something great together. So don't you take the lie that you're too much. Yes. Uh, Also, like, before we go to the next thing, um, stop telling black women they're intimidating. Like, it's like a cuss word to me, for sure. It, <laughs> it is. is It is like a cuss word. Like, stop saying that we're intimidating. Because it's like, unpack where that's coming from. Like, because yes. it's like, I'm not doing anything but living my life. And I know, like, I know Faith well enough that I don't think, we don't go around, like, lording. Like, oh, I'm so smart. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I have this. Oh, I have that. And so it's like, you know, I don't know. And I also would say to black women, if you've been told you're intimidating, don't internalize that because that's really yes. the other person's issue. Like you're not doing anything but living your life. And if someone else is intimidated by that, like that's really their own issue and their own insecurities. But I just would like to put that out there as a disclaimer. Stop telling black women they're intimidating and just, you know, maybe think, oh, how can I raise my game? Or like, I don't know, talk to your therapist. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Work it out on the inside of you. But if intimidating is the first thing you're thinking about saying, maybe you just reevaluate that within yourself and say, why do I think they're intimidating? What about them is intimidating me? What is in me that feels like I need to, you know, feel that way like what's causing that and then you know have a healthy dialogue about it okay um because i've seen my therapist about it for my own life so it's it's not me i'm just trying to be myself so Catherine, was there a particular person in your life who helped you own your own ambitions Um, and how did they help you if that's the case? 
Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say two people I can think of immediately is like my best friend from law school, Jessica, um, who she helped on a couple levels. I, and I think not everyone needs to go to law school with this, but <laughs> that's not what this, but I will just say, I think generally the women that I went to law school with, the black women I went to law school with are the most impressive group of women I know. And have not scared away any man. Most of them are married. Um, some to men that make less money than them, but it's like not an issue, right? Because the right man. But I think particularly about Jessica is that she always says like, if you're not going to hype yourself up, who who's going to? Like you're your so kind of true. own your own best cheerleader. And she's has never been shy about being like, you know, like I know I can do this or whatever. And even as she moved um, from you know, job to job. And she now has like a big job when she applied for the job. She was like, you know, like there was just no, like, Oh, I don't know that I can take this next step. It was like, I have prepared, I have done all these things. Like, I think God, if this is for me, like he's going to do that. And so, um, just watching her like own her own voice and like step into things and never being like intimidated by situations and kind of like oh well I belong here like why wouldn't I be here like it would never occur to her to be right. like oh I'm the only black woman in this room why wouldn't I be here and the thing I love about her ambition is like when she is the only black woman in the room you better believe like with all the things that happened this summer she was basically like uh, you know, I've been given this position of authority and I, there are so many people in this company that can't feel like they can't speak because they feel, you know, like their jobs would be at risk. And so, you know, I've been placed here to speak and say something on behalf of everybody else. And so I also just love that her ambition is not just about like her and her own family's flourishing that like, she just wants to see black people win. And so, um, I like love that. And then, um, the woman who's taught me like a lot about um, women's ambition and like how to wield ambition in a man's world is I worked for a state senator straight out of law school who was just, um, yeah, so fun. And she, you know, had no problem being the only woman in a room with a bunch of men. But I think also too, that she was the first person that taught me it's okay. You're not trying to be a man if you're ambitious. Like there's a way to wield ambition, to wield power and authority as a woman. And and to show me that, because she, one of my favorite things about her, she's like, the best thing about being a woman is your power suit can be red. It can be, you know, purple and no one's going to think, you know, anything of it. And she's like, think about men. They're stuck in those boring blue, black, gray. Like we have so many more colors that we get to wear. And like, you know, when she first ran for state Senate, how she started in politics is she was a mom, um, had her own business and there were all these men running for this state office and she thought they were all terrible. And her husband was like, well, you're complaining way too much about this. If you think these men are bad, you need to do it. And so she did. And she basically was like, you know, I am doing this, have done this for my kids, for a better future, for all Texas children. But I, I think what I learned from her is like, yeah, you don't have to, you're not trying to be masculine like there's a way in which to wield power and influence that's unique to how you're created as a woman and like that's okay too like you don't have to do the things that you see them do like you don't have to be aggressive in the way that men are aggressive or you don't have to speak the way that they speak like you can be who you are and who God created you to be and still be in these places and spaces and so I felt like that was really freeing for me um do you have who would you say helped you in your and you're owning your ambitions? I would say for sure my mom, because she would always talk to me about how I'm a leader, um, how to be focused. She helped me like hone in on my gifts. Um, she's never like pushed marriage and family on me as like this priority in my life, but it was all about like discover who you are and what your purpose is. And then I would say, um, Tanya, who was like a big sister to me, I met her when I was 16 years old and she was really the one that like encouraged me and really saw me and was like, you are like a force to be reckoned with and you have no idea. And I was like, I don't even know what I want to do with my life. I'm only 16. Um, <laughs> so, but she like, she took so much time with me and mentored me and really showed me that where there is more to me. Um, and more to life than I even imagined and, you know, really taught me a lot about like work and education and 
you know, hard work and what that could do for me, but also just being confident in myself as a leader. If I can say anything to anybody, the best advice I ever got was just being confident in who I am, discovering who I am, discovering my voice, um, discovering my leadership capabilities, being teachable. Um, I remember Tanya drilling that into me. She was like, you have to be teachable. If you're not going to be teachable, then you're not going to go far in life. And she was one of the people that would just constantly like tell me that. And I remember there was one time she was giving me advice about something and she was like, you need to be teachable. Are you being teachable? And I was just like, (laughs) gosh, like, and she would always get on my case about being teachable. But now that I'm an adult, like I understand so much uh, more why she was saying what she was saying and why she held me accountable and held my feet to the fire all the time about that. Because I've met so many people who are not teachable, grown adults who are not teachable. Your insecurities consume you so much that you cannot take feedback. And that is a like a literal killer in your leadership capabilities. Like you cannot be a good leader if you're not teachable. And um, like nobody knows everything. So if you're not willing to be corrected, if you're not willing to like um, grow and admit that I don't know or I messed up, then you're not going to be a successful leader, which I think also kills ambition right so yeah I was gonna say I think the sort of hidden secret is teachability humility I think in my own life have been the keys I think to ambition because you think I think you think you have to be like so aggressive and go out and I mean that that is a part of it but I think of opportunities I've been given you know stages or whatever I think it was because I was like, hey, can you teach me this? Like, I'm interested in learning. Or like, can I sit with you and can you explain or tell me this or tell me that? And I think, you know, people recognize that. And I think people love Mm -hmm. people that treat them as as experts. And so then it's like, okay, the next time a position opens up. Yeah. Like, I know I've invested all this time in Catherine or whatever. (laughs) And so, yeah, no, I think teachability and humility are like underrated to me, I, I in my own life, I think it's like the flip side of ambition. So Tanya was really teaching you something. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to Tanya. <laughs> um, I think that it's like very, um, yeah, I think mentorship is like really very important um, to seeing yourself and being a leader. Um, did Tanya give you any tips for how to balance your ambitions, work ambitions with your personal life? Do you have any, yeah, wisdom to share about that? Yeah, so I think um, the one thing that I have learned and I'm learning is that my work, as much as I love it, is not um, my whole life. Like, it's a part of what I do. It's something that I love, um, but it isn't the whole of who I am. And so um, balance, I think, is something that we talk about. It's a concept, but I don't know how much I'm going to say it's real because um, there's so many things like when you're trying to like, oh, like how much time do I dedicate to this and to this? Like nothing is even, okay? But I do think that there is a way to where you can um, create boundaries. So for me, um, the boundaries for myself are on the weekends, like I'm not working, like I'm not working at all. And um, that has been a big shift for me. Also, just taking time to think to myself, like, what are the things that I want to do personally or write personally? Or, you know, what are the other things that I've committed to um, that I need to take care of and tend to and creating space and time for that. Um, I think that sometimes with like our goals and the things that we want to do, it can be so exciting to go after them, but then you end up burning out, you're tired, like you don't create space, like you cannot create out of exhaustion. And that's just the truth, right? So I think finding those times yeah. to rest and it's so difficult right now. Everybody's thrown off. I feel mentally thrown off just with all this working at home constantly stuff. It's like too it's much. just it's not we're not in our normal world. So I take all of this with a grain of salt, right? But I do think to find ways, find small corners and spaces in your heart and life to where you can nurture and talk to your own self and say, how is faith really doing? Like, how am I? Like, what does that look like for me? Like, what do I need? Do I need to sleep? Do I need to read? Do I need a minute? Do I need to journal? Like, what are things that are going to cultivate me? Um, Because if I can feed myself, feed my spirit, feed my heart, those are things that are going to be able to help me to show up in work and personal goals and things that I want to do and to pursue those. So 
example for me yesterday I was like driving home after visiting my brother and um, sister-in-law and I literally probably prayed for like 30 to 40 minutes no music on and I haven't done that in a while like no music just quiet just prayer but it was like I could feel the weight of the world everything going on heaviness and despair just trying to like sit on me and become a friend with me and I'm like I I need (laughs) I need like the hope and freedom of Jesus to take over my heart right now because I cannot like give in to despair right so I think whenever I make space for that in those moments with uh, the Lord that really helps me also to you know have clear vision and boundaries for what I need to do so that way I can thrive in each aspect of my life personally and professionally yeah no I think that's good I think I heard Christine Kane say a few years ago that balance is like a myth like you're not seeking a perfect balance like you're not going to be able to be um 50 here you know like it's not going to be um and I think so I love your language of boundaries. And one of the things that she said was like about what is it to look like, uh, what does it look like to live an integrated life? And then because at certain moments, certain roles, you know, whether for me it's like daughter or, you know, seminary student is going to require more. So then trying to figure out how do I like prioritize what needs to be prioritized in the time it needs to be prioritized, which I think goes to your thing about boundaries. And then in other times I have other priorities. Um, Cause I do think, you know, I was telling my, some of my students um, last week that we should work from our rest and not work to rest. Um, that rest is like a critical part of what it means to be a leader. And to your point, yeah, like if we don't take good care of ourselves, like you can't be creative. You can't be, there for your family you can't be there for your friends and that does mean you know for me it's like part of that for me what I have been realizing is like what I eat like I need to be getting regular sleep I'd like need to go on walks or whatever um that that can't be a neglected part of how I care for myself and that that should be a part of what does it mean to be ambitious well part of what it means to be ambitious or successful should also be what does it mean to take really good care of myself physically too Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, Okay, so we're going to wrap it up with this question that I think is really important and I think will um, be really useful for people to reflect on. So how can the church better support ambitious women? Yeah, so I'm just going to give my top three kind of like biggest pet peeves. Women's ministry, when you schedule the events scheduling events in the middle of the day, (laughs) scheduling events Mm -hmm. like... um, yeah, scheduling events in the middle of the day or events that start like at five o'clock or at 5.30. Ma'am, mm, mm. especially if I, we're not, nobody's driving to work now. So this is maybe just take this one. We can drive to work and then also drive to church again. But starting events at like 5.30 when, you know, you live in a city where there's a lot of traffic, you know, like people, like it's just not realistic to the rhythm of most working women's lives. So I would say be, um, cautious of that. The other thing I would say is like asking women to use their gifts for the glory of the kingdom. So like if someone in your church is an accountant, automatically saying you should work in the children's ministry doesn't really reflect that you honor that God has given them skills for math and accounting. So like maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, one way to support a woman's ambition is to be like, you're an accountant, you should be on the church finance community or church administration community because that actually correlates with your actual gifts and we want to honor and celebrate that. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is like mentorship opportunities. I like went to a church a few years ago where they had... um, for lack of a better word, it was like a business club where men and women, I appreciated that it was open to women in the church that were entrepreneurs or um, worked in like the tech field or, you know, whatever. They had like a Thursday morning um once or twice a month that they met and they talked about faith stuff, but also too, it was just like a problem solving thing. Like you can come and like talk what's going on at your business and get mentorship from like older, um, people who had been in business or own businesses longer. And so, um, I think those kinds of things are great. Like obviously the church is not the only place that you can get that, but some women, it can be a struggle. And so if you're already kind of in community with these people, like how are you creating, you know, explicit opportunities for their, for them to seek out wisdom from the elders of the church would be what I would say. I love that. I think, um, I would say one of the things that I will add is that it will be great for the church to, 
actually through all the different ministries or even from the stage talk about how wonderful and great it is for women to be ambitious and to pursue their goals and to highlight the women in the Bible who um, did the same, you know. And, you know, just like we all, you know, like to find ways to connect it to the context and the time of where we are now in 2020, there is definitely a way to do that with the women in the Bible and to point out what that looks like for women now. So um, I encourage pastors to definitely do that. And the other thing that I would say is to, um, you touched on it definitely, Catherine, don't view single women just as babysitters. We're not babysitters. And I drew a really hard line in my life when I knew I was going to be one of the only single women amongst um, friends with kids. Even though I love my friends, I was like, I am not going to be the community babysitter. I'm just not. I don't have it in me. And it's going to make me feel a way to be like maybe two years younger than y'all. And then I'm the first one to call to babysit because I'm the single one. But then everybody's going on double dates. And um, so I just think that we're more than just babysitters. So definitely, like Catherine said, look at our gifts and what we can add to the church, um, to the ministry. And then maybe if there isn't something specific that we could help in the church with, maybe there's a nonprofit organization or somebody that's looking for some help um, where somebody, if they're looking to volunteer in your church, like you could point them in like a direction where their gifts can be utilized. Um, so anyhow, that's what I would say. You know, can I just say one more thing before we go on off this to what you were saying? It really matters to women's leadership abilities in a way I don't it's not as common for men, but like research has shown that women are waiting to be asked. Mm -hmm. And so there are women at your church right now that have gifts that would jump at a chance to use them if someone said, hey, I've noticed that you love scripture. Would you come teach the Sunday school class? I actually think for myself, I never thought about teaching the Bible as, or like teaching generally, as much as I love it, this sounds crazy to say now, I never really thought of it as one of my gifts until this woman who at my church, who I barely knew, we were having women's Bible study and she, after class, pulled me aside and she's like, you have a lot of important things to say. I see in you, God has made you a leader and you need to be using your gifts in this church. So like, then she like, it set this whole trajectory and that was like 15, I was like in my early 20s. So it's like 15 years ago. So to say all that to say, Yes, I affirm what, like, yes, 100%. Like, if there's not a place in the church, pointing them to a nonprofit, it does really matter that the church is a place of identifying and supporting women's gifts and ambitions. I mean, and with that, that's just like a mic drop moment. And we're just going <laughs> to leave you all with that to ponder and, you know, just let it marinate in your soul. But it is time for your favorite segment and ours. Go off, sis. So um, this is where we tell you something that we're loving, are blessed, and something that's also just a complete mess right now. So Catherine, yes, I'm making you go first again. Catherine, why don't you start us off? So my bless is going to be Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams. If you didn't know, the U.S. Open will have concluded last Saturday, um, but... I want to shout both of these black women out. Naomi Osaka, every match that she played during the U.S. Open wore a different face mask of a different victim of police brutality. Um, you know, she did an interview a couple, like like a week ago, where they actually had some of the names that she'd written their like surviving loved ones, like tell her what it meant to them to see their their child's name or you know yeah their child's name on her mask, and she basically talked about what we're talking about. She was like, I see myself as a vessel. God is, you know, I've been given this platform and like, I want to draw attention to this. I really care about this. And I think Naomi Osaka is like 22, 23. She is not like mm -hmm. young black woman doing it. Top of her game is killing it at tennis, but just using your platform for, for something bigger. And then Serena Williams, need I say more? I mean, the greatest of all time. I, you know, if I you're, mean. I mean, I, you know, I love LeBron, but he's never won an NBA championship pregnant. I mean, let's just, okay. You know, and I just, <laughs> um, I like love Serena. She is someone else who just is like, I am who I am. And I know people don't like me, but I'm not going to stop being who um, I am. And, you know, I think her sort of now that she's like a mother, there were a lot of mothers that competed at the U.S. Open this year. And she has been such an advocate for um, like paid family leave for tennis players and like 
implementing new policies. And there were so many Black women, Faith, so many Black women played in the U.S. Open. And all of these girls picked up a tennis racket because of Serena Williams. And so, you know, it's incredible to me that she's seeing the fruit of her labor and all the things that she endured. But then also, too, that she's still playing against these girls. I know. (laughs) She's still out there. And she's killing it. She's killing it. And so... You know, I want to shout out Naomi and Serena and thank them for just being black girl magic. Um, you know what my mess is going to be is people that are defending white Christians that own slaves and suggesting that because slavery was in the Bible, the American system of slavery might have been God's will. And you uh-uh. think this you think this sounds crazy because, you know, in 2020, with all the things we have going on in this era, you wouldn't think that that would be a hill you would want to die on. You would be incorrect. Um, and I just want to mm. say that, first of all, don't do that. There's no, there's no need. There's no need. Those men are dead. But also, too, the problem with that thought is you have separated right thinking from right living. So if your Mm. theology only exists in your head, if your theology says that I can dehumanize another person because they're different from me, I'm not talking about agree, disagree. If you don't recognize the image of God in another person created by God, and you think that it's okay to own them, to mistreat them, to talk to them crazy— you have bigger problems because I would just want to say that the God that you're worshiping might not be the God of the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. The just, you know, my reading of it. And I think that you can say, and there's no reason to like defend these people as like men of their time. Cause there are plenty of white abolitionists. There were plenty of people who were men and women of their time that saw that owning people as property and selling them was not just, it was not Christian. It was not biblical. And I also want to say, I am not a historian, but most of these men, even if you want to go with the like, Oh, well, you know, slavery was in the Bible. Most of these men didn't treat their slaves well. Why? Because they treated them as property. They whipped them. They sold them away from their families. They raped women. So like this idea that like, uh, you know, and it's not for me to say whether or not they're Christians or not, but I just want to say for this generation of Christians, don't be out here in these streets defending these these men and, and please don't write essays about it. And please, you know, it, it, you know, let sleeping dogs lie. I'll say that. <laughs> that's that's really, mm, that's a word. Um, I am going to say for something that I love, the um, bless for me was getting to just hang out with my baby besties. If you all don't know, I call my niece and my nephew my baby besties um, because they really are. They're like the cutest and so funny. And they call me a really special name that I'm not going to share on the internet because if I do people will start to think that they can call me that name. It actually happened. Somebody actually came up to me and called me the nickname. My niece and nephew called me, and I literally had to tell her, no, don't do that. <laughs> um, I was like, that's for those children and those children only. So the disrespect. Um, <laughs> I was like, don't be taking those babies' names for their aunt. <laughs> right. Like, you can't do that. Um, but it was just great. And I every time I spend time with them, I'm reminded of – how wonderful children are and how hopeful they are. And they don't know any of the crazy stuff that's going on in the world right now. And so it's just great to be around them and just to be refreshed. And children really are a gift. So if you have children, hug them tight, love on them. I know you've been stuck in the house with them. They probably asked you 15 million questions and cried and threw tantrums for no reason other than the fact that they're toddlers and they don't know anything. Um, But love on them. Give them an extra squeeze because this time goes by so fast and they're really precious little human beings. So that's what I have to say about all the good things in the world. But let me tell you about this mess, this this mess that is going on in 2020. I just like I can't even keep up with the amount of mess I see every single day. Like when you were just talking, Catherine, I was like, I have not seen that one. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff, but I have not seen that one. Um, Protect your peace, girl, because I read that and I said, no, nah. get behind me. Get behind (laughs) me. I like, I honestly, I'm going to say the mess is, and this is like just from my heart, honest. It has felt 
so heavy and I have felt like the despair that people feel right now in the black community because of all of this mess that you're mentioning um, because of the excuses by some evangelicals to not want to engage in the work of justice um, you know just resorting back to saying things that they said about MLK um, oh you're a communist you're a Marxist all these things and it's like on one hand, people want to believe that they would be on the right side of history. But when we're in that moment right now, they're nowhere to be found. And so I just think that um, this has been a reckoning for some people. Like if you were a black uh, person and you hadn't come to some, you know, recollections about justice and faith and where you were at and where you're standing. Some of these people are having eye opening, awakening moments with people that they used to be in community with. And so. Um, or people that they've been in community with for years. And so I just think that it's um, it's been a tough time for people. And I'm just recognizing that and holding space for any black people who have felt um, like you're just in a funk, who haven't felt seen, who felt um, sad or depressed or angry or hopeless. Um, I just want to speak to that and just say, I hear you and I see you. And, um, as much as it feels hard right now, and in some ways you might feel like, is there any point to anything that I'm doing, that I'm saying, that I'm speaking out about? There is a point and, um, there is hope in your humanity and your dignity are not up for negotiation or debate. So you just, you know, hang tight. Um, listen to some of the old spirituals that are going to carry you through because sometimes you just got to go back and remember. <laughs> I think, you know, it's to something you were saying. I was really struck by people always want to say, well, I would have been on the right side of history. I would have been in the civil rights movement. I would have been an abolitionist. And I want to say, whatever you're doing now is what you would have been doing then. So if you ain't doing nothing, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't leave <laughs> the civil rights activists, leave the abolitionists out your mouth because you know you wouldn't. And, and, and I think that's honest. Like, be honest. And I think that's okay. Like, we talked about this in the last episode. We were talking about Rwanda. Like, just tell the truth. And like, because I, I think right. part of what hurts people or like when I have been hurt in those spaces, it's because you told me, you were this, and now I'm seeing you're this. And if you had just been up front that you were this, you know, I could have changed my whole expectations. Because part of what I think people are dealing with is just like, um, there's just the crushing disappointment of people that you've been in community with realizing, oh, it's not 100% what I thought it was. Um, right. And so, yeah, I would say rest. If you need to withdraw from those spaces, spirituals, um, you know, and, you know, Martin Luther King said himself, don't ask for peace if you ain't working for justice. And you know where he got that? From the prophet Jeremiah. So <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> Don't be calling for peace if you ain't going to work for justice. I'll say that to our less melanated brothers and sisters. And I will say to our melanated brothers and sisters, I agree with faith. Like, we are holding space for you. Yeah, keep on keeping on. And on that note... We are going to wrap up this episode. So all of you all continue to be ambitious, pursue your dreams, rock it. We're rooting for you. Um, and we're always happy to help support and connect um, with all of you. So if you love what you're hearing, definitely join our Patreon community. That is a small growing community, but we just did a special episode um, all about Black Panther, our thoughts, um, especially around um, Chadwick Boseman's death. And so that is all the way up there just for our Patreon supporters. And we would love for you to join our community. We will see you all next time. Bye.